Welcome to the Stacking Slabs podcast. Join Brett to get the latest sports cards investment advice, hear from industry experts that are deep in the trenches, and find out when to turn left when the rest of the market is going right. Get eBay ready, get PayPal ready. Let's be students of the game and stack those slabs. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs Hobby Hustle Friday Conversation Edition. Been loving these Friday chats. The reason why I like these conversations is it gives me an opportunity to meet and interact with people that I'm fans of, people that are creating awesome content, building platforms I'm engaging with on social media, or maybe all three like today's guests. So we've got Chris from House of Jordans and Card Ladder on this Hobby Hustle conversation. He's going to talk about the history of House of Jordans. He's going to talk about why he built Card Ladder. And of course, we're going to talk about Luca. If you listen to House of Jordans, you know what I'm talking about. You hear an amazing story about how he got started as a Luca collector. And man, what I can say is I wish I got started when he did. Hopefully you all enjoy this one. I know you'll learn a lot. I learned a lot from Chris. So definitely relax, take it easy, and enjoy this one. All right, everyone. I am super excited for today's conversation. As you all know, I'm an avid consumer of content, and I call this podcast kind of my OG, and that's the House of Jordans podcast. As I came back into the hobby, House of Jordans was definitely one of the first podcasts that I started to listen to and still listen to this day. I really like what they do because you can tell that there is a certain level of time, energy, and effort that is put in to each one of the episodes from the research done on the front end to the production value on the back end. And that's something I think in the hobby is super important as we all try to figure out what content is good for you and what's going to help you as you navigate it. So that is how I feel about House of Jordans. And also they've kind of taken what they've done just in terms of charting and analytics and trends and put that towards a new platform that you can't open up a social feed right now without seeing it, which is really good marketing, and that's Card Ladder. So we're definitely going to talk about House of Jordans. We're going to talk about Card Ladder, but without further ado, I am joined by Chris, who's a member of that team. How are you doing today, Chris? Man, I'm doing great, Brett. Thank you for a tremendous introduction. Thank you for having me on Stacking Slabs. Definitely been listening to you since episode one, and it's an honor to uh, it's an honor to be on here with you, man. Yeah, I appreciate you making some time. There's definitely so much I want to talk about, but I think from the jump, I'd love to know kind of the story about how House of Jordan started. From my perspective, obviously with the last dance documentary, there wasn't a better source that anybody in the hobby could go to on a weekly basis than to tune into your episodes and listen to what you have to say about card charts, Jordan trends, and that sort of thing. But I'd love to know just like the backstory and the inspiration of how you all came together to build and create House of Jordans. Would love to talk a little bit about that, man. So here's the kind of how that story starts. I want you to picture a round table in an apartment in Los Angeles and uh, sitting at it are myself, my girlfriend, Christina, and my cousin, Brian. And we've all got piles of cards sitting in front of us and we've got our phones and our laptops pulled out and we're looking up stuff that's interesting in the card market. We're looking at eBay. We're doing historical research on price trends. We're making spreadsheets. We're sharing cards with each other. We're talking about what we like about all the different cards and we're just having a blast. And at a certain point after doing this for a while, we just said, 
wouldn't it be a lot of fun to share this passion that we have for the hobby, for everything surrounding the hobby? Wouldn't it be fun if we just shared this with people and maybe use it as a way to meet people and and share our passion and our and our joy for the hobby and meet like-minded people perhaps and we already were pretty deep in the michael jordan network of collectors and a lot of those guys kind of were wanting to have some content that talked about michael jordan cards and stuff like that and so we said uh, this could be a lot of fun let's try it out i have a i have a background in audio engineering and in music production so and so does brian my cousin so I already had lots of microphones that we could use for the purpose of recording a podcast. And I kind of know what I'm doing a little bit on the um, when it comes to mixing and recording and stuff like that. So it wasn't too big of a stretch for us to just set up three microphones around that table and just do what we had been doing previously, but just do it with microphones involved. And so that's why our early episodes could reach three to four hours at times. It was a bit ludicrous. Eventually, we started saying, hey, we should get a little more organized. Let's start coming up with at least some topics that we're going to focus on, which we did. And then we started trying to get more and more efficient, res- really respect the audience's time and make sh- do as much production on the front end as could. And kind of brings us up to today where we try to find a balance between like getting into the weeds, which we'd love to do, but but still being entertaining and, and moving quickly enough that, that, you know, people don't get bored, basically. Yeah. And I, I love what you said about use it as a vehicle to meet people in the hobby and i think just from it for for the audience's perspective i think that's basically why we're talking today and i think that's the power of having a platform and creating content is that it's easy to be able to reach people it's easy to be able to connect with them and i think that's for me as i've been a consumer of house of jordans this is before this call was the first time we've ever spoke however i think me listening to your episodes and listening to what you are tracking and talking about on a regular basis i feel like i have some knowledge about why you're in the hobby and why you're doing what you're doing is that kind of do you have it share a similar sentiment and just different people you've met along the way man 100 percent and to just make the point slightly different or a more emphatic fashion i love the people of the hobby fellow collectors, the newcomers, the legends and the old timers. I just love the people of this hobby, man. And there's a lot of stuff going on in the hobby and it's sometimes it's hard to get a foothold to make your way. And so if you can find a way that you bring value to the table, maybe it's through a podcast, maybe it's through being a collector and and being a deal facilitator or being a somebody who can trade cards or whatever. There's lots of ways to kind of bring value to people and try and get a way in to make friends and to network. And maybe the best way to do that is just a common interest. Maybe it's centered around collecting a certain player, collecting a certain set, or maybe it's centered around the type of content that we make. But what you end up finding is that the people in the hobby are just terrific, terrific people. And and also people of, of integrity. And a lot of times in the hobby, we really have to self-police because there are a few bad apples out there. And I've never seen a community of people self-regulate better than the hobby does. It's very impressive. It's honestly some of the stuff that that I've seen, you know, the the the, the hobby sleuths uh, put together uh, in order to out people who are doing bad things has just been terrific. And 
I can't really express it more pointedly than this. I love the people in the hobby and being able to meet them through something like a podcast or through an Instagram page, through group chats, through message boards, through Twitter, you know, through Facebook groups. I mean, there's lots of different ways to kind of meet people, but no matter what way you do it, man, I the people in this hobby are some of my best friends in the world. And man, it's a real pleasure to be a part of it. Totally. It's so much fun. And like you mentioned, just a quick direct message. And I try to always be as responsive as possible and help people who are asking me questions because people are helping me along the way, but I couldn't agree with with you anymore. I, I got, before we get off of the House of Jordans topic, I have to get the just story from, from your perspective of you, obviously when the last dance got moved up, right, you had to have known that there was going to be a certain level of attention on your podcast and what you were saying and what you were talking about. Did, did you and the team change course at all about your approach or how did you prepare for this like new interest in, I guess it's not new, but maybe a mounting interest in the Michael Jordan sports card market? That's a terrific question. So I became very, very uh, conscious very quickly of the fact that there was going to be a whole new type of market participant in the Michael Jordan sports card market because of the last dance. And, you know, we have a humble podcast, like it's pretty niche. It's pretty targeted to just a subset of the hobby. But I did think that there was maybe a chance that some new people would come in. And there's a lot of like really seasoned Michael Jordan collectors, but, you know, new people will, will have to play catch up a little bit. And I figured that most of the new people would be coming either from the perspective of like modern cards. So they might understand the configuration of Panini's product lines a little bit better. And they might understand kind of the logic of how the modern sports card market works. I figured they'd either be coming from that perspective or they'd just be like total newcomers. To the hobby period. And in either event, I wanted to make an episode that kind of gave people tools to do the hobby in a way that would be sustainable for them long term. Because the one of the things that was abundantly clear uh, to, to pretty much to all of us was that the Michael Jordan Last Dance documentary would peak, the hobby interest would peak, and then at least for certain cards, it would retreat. And so people could end up paying for cards at a peak price would that they wouldn't need to pay in fact, if you knew what cards were important and iconic, you could probably just restrain yourself, stay away from those because those would be the ones that would become the most traded. Those would be the ones that would flood the market. And then you could just pick those up a little bit later on down the line. And on the other hand, there would be other cards that the hardcore collectors go after that would see a smaller bump in price, but that will never, well, they will likely not retreat. So I wanted to like be able to like convey these things to people, but not tell people what to do, but to give the people the same tools that we have so that they could figure out what to do. So we made an episode called How to Collect Michael Jordan Cards. And what we did in that episode was we just gave people who are coming from the modern perspective, we analogized modern product to its equivalent from the 90s. And it actually is a pretty neat analogy because, you know, 2018-19 Prison Basketball had about 30 brands. And that's about how many different brands there was over the entirety of the 90s. So we like, we literally went through, this is probably overkill, but we went through every Every single 2018-19 Panini Prison Basketball product, and we picked an analog for it from the 90s. And then we would say, like, if you like, you know, Prism, you know, here's its analog. And like, so this set, 
I don't remember what it was. Maybe I said it was like 96, 97 Chrome or something. Like the way we analogized them was based on the price of box. So like if that was the case, which it wasn't, I'm sure, because 96, 97 Chrome is more expensive. But anyway, if, I was, if that was the case, I would say, so here's 96, 97 Chrome. Here's what you do. You go to eBay, you search 1996, 97 Chrome, and you put in Michael Jordan. And you're going to just, just search it and just see what the arrangement of Michael Jordan cards are. And if you like something, start researching that card. Start looking it up in different grades. But the point is, trust what you like, because there's a, there's literally a market for every Michael Jordan card out there. Every single every single one of them has diehard collectors who chase that card or who want it for part of their PC. So if you go with what you like, if you go and you and you personally curate a Michael Jordan collection based on what you like, based on your research, number one, your collection is going to be a much more a much richer expression of who you are. You're going to like your collection a lot more, and you'll probably end up landing on cards that people who are similar to you like. You can start facilitating a community and relationships with people who like the stuff you like, and you're going to inherently understand the market for that stuff better because you're going to be gravitated to it. You're going to want to study it. You're going to want to learn about it. So we made an episode that talked about that. And then we tried to give new entrants some tips and some insight as well. We tried to talk about some of the cards that people would remember from their nine from, from the nineties, from their childhood collections of cards. So like super long winded way there of me saying like, yes, yes, we did. And we take it very seriously to tell people, to share our knowledge with people and to, you know, try and help them see things the way we do. Yeah, I love that episode. That was fascinating for me as I was listening to it and comparing uh, old Jordan cards that I have seen to just modern equivalents. So definitely everybody check out that episode. I'll put it in the show notes for you all to listen. Before we get off the Jordan topic, I got to ask, what is one Jordan card, just the the trends that happened during the last dance time frame that just blew your mind and did something that you just weren't expecting is there one card in particular you can call out yeah i uh well one thing that was actually disappointing was there's there's um the the upper echelon of michael jordan 90s cards we call them the grails they're serial numbered they're the og parallels and like almost none of them ever came to market which was really really disappointing because a lot of us wanted to see those cards test the market in that sort of environment and they never did so that was disappointing but i understand people who own those cards a lot of them consider them what we call caskets cards meaning they're going to mm-hmm. take those cards with them to the grave so i guess i understand why they didn't sell but it would have been nice if some Somebody would have just let it come to market with some of those key cards. Like I'm talking about like the PMGs and the Rubies and the Golden Boss Refractor and stuff like that. I would have loved to see some of that stuff come to market, but it didn't. But uh, one card that did come to market that did blow my mind was the uh, 86 Fleer PSA 10 Jordan Rookie card. I didn't think that card was going to go up and touch 100,000, and it did. And the reason why is because the, that card's just very liquid, uh, even without the hype of The Last Dance compelling people to think about bringing copies to market. It already sells you know, a few times a month. Uh, for a card that's only pop 312 in a PSA 10, that's actually very liquid. So when a card's that liquid, you don't really expect to see it go up 3x in value you know, over a period of a month. But sure enough, um, it did. It, it, it trended up from earlier this year it was selling in the 30s it got all the way it went up and touched 100 and now settling in in the mid 60s that surprised me i didn't i didn't think that card would get that high yeah I, that was yeah that was crazy that was one i was tracking definitely and i share in your sentiment and i think you the way you describe cards and what's happening it's very natural and easy for you to talk about the progression and the trends and where they're coming from where they've been and maybe what you can expect and i think just that kind of rings true into the platform that you have just launched which is card ladder 
Um, and I think just for me, I spent some time in card ladder. Let's see here today, a little yesterday. And the thing I like about it, it's super easy and it's super like, it's easy to navigate. It's easy to get information that's just in one consolidated place to understand trends and to get some perspective on what's happening in the market. And I think no surprise when I logged in today, the top four cards that were on card ladder were Cam Newton. Why? Because obviously a team, the New England Patriots signed Cam Newton and everyone's going nuts on Cam right now. So Maybe talk to me about just your mentality and just tracking cards and this passion you have for trends, how that was applied to making something and bringing Card Ladder to life. I'd love to, man. Uh, So, and thank you for poking around the app a little bit, man. It means a lot that you did that. And so like, all right, so Josh from Cardboard Chronicles is our lead developer and he heads a team of developers. He does this professionally. He's incredible. And so his, his wisdom and knowledge of the hobby, you know, combined with his professional experience in developing, I mean, he's incredibly talented. The team he has is, is incredibly talented talented. Like that's why our user interface, in my opinion, is really impressive. It has nothing to do with me. That's, that's his work. And he, he reached out to me the other day and he was like, dude, he's like, I see you guys going to bed at five in the morning, like every day. And I see you guys waking up at like nine in the morning and getting back to work. And he was like, dude, he was like, I'm, I want just tell me how I can, you know, uh, expedite anything for you guys, because, you know, I, I just want to make card ladder, you know, because, because we, uh, when I say you guys, I'm talking about me and the researchers that I'm working with and our video production team. And so like, he was like, please tell me how I can make this more efficient for you guys. And I, <laughs> I said, I was like, man, because he, he, he said, I, I just want you to have some free time, like at a minimum. And I was like, man, I said, what do you think I used to do in my free time? I, I, this is what I do. I just like <laughs> to look before Josh, me the, and our researchers, the tool to track stuff and using the software program that he built, we were just doing it in Excel. And now we have a tool that's, I don't know, a hundred times more powerful than that, that allows us to track this stuff real time. And so he built this incredible tool. And so like, I just, I'm, I'm loving it, man. I say this very cautiously, but the way our process works is every sale gets dumped into a pending folder that you that we can access from the admin panel. And so I literally, like yesterday, for example, $180,000 worth of cards that are in our database sold on eBay yesterday. And so I'm the person who goes through the pending folder along with some of our other researchers and we open up every one of those sales and we look at the bid history and we look at the item that's sold, we compare it to its current price. If we see something suspicious, we send the, the sale to a folder that's called purgatory which means it's just going to wait there for a little while and see if we can get more information to verify the sale. Like, so if it was shilled, we don't know for sure if it was shilled, but if we see evidence of shilling, if we see a very extreme outlier price, if it looks like the seller was a scam rather than a real seller, things like that, we send it to purgatory. And so when you go through a pending folder that captures $180,000 worth of, of sports car transactions that happened in a single day, uh, it, it's it's like having all of your hobby blind spots removed. And you see things that are happening in so many different segments of the market that you know, no matter how many times I sat there and individually searched eBay over the course of a day, you know, or no matter how many times I scrolled Instagram or looked at Twitter, no matter how many saved searches 
pop up in my email. I just, you know, I never had the power to be able to see the full picture that the hobby is telling us. And now this pending folder where I see uh, so many interesting things happening in the hobby every single day, um, it's it's awe-inspiring. It's, it's like the hobby is like all-seeing eye is this pending folder. And so what we wanted to do, we wanted to capture the power of this information and give it to people. We wanted to tell the story of the hobby through data because data especially pricing data is super, super important. You could run a poll. In fact, we did this in one of our House of Jordans episodes. We ran a poll and we asked people, which grading company do you like better? And BGS won like four to one. Or I, I say we ran a poll. What I should say is that we took the results from a poll that was in a Facebook group. But if you look at the mark, PSA slabs command a significant premium. So I use that as just a very basic example to say the story that people tell you through survey data is a very different story than what actual sales data tells you. And so sales data itself tells you the story of the hobby. So we said, how can we synthesize all this information into digestible format that fellow collectors and fellow people who are interested in sports and interested in the hobby can consume it? And so that's how we came up with the ladder. And so the ladder is an objective algorithm that ranks every single card in our database by the same formula. And we actually have like several different ladders. We have a 14-day trending ladder. We have a 90-day trending ladder. We have an undervalued ladder where we use something that's admittedly controversial. We use something called predictive pricing to predict the price of certain things, of, of certain cards that we feel like we can reliably predict. You know, we have just a simple ladder that ranks everything in our database by price. We have a player ladder that like takes the key iconic rookie card of different players and ranks only those that you can sort of see like which players are hot right now. Obviously, Cam Newton is at the top of that list. So like that's that's what that's what we wanted to do with card ladder, with that aspect of card ladder was tell the story of the hobby through data. Now there's other aspects aspects too for for like super serious collectors and just people who love the hobby you can build your personal collection there's a pretty powerful analytical tool called compare cards i don't want to get too long-winded here <laughs> as i tend to do but I hope yeah, that yeah, speaks. yeah. No, and I'm curious just on the the pending folder. It's out to me. I'm visualizing that as just like the heartbeat of the hobby, and so you're being able to see a lot of different things that you wouldn't normally see. Ha- has there been anything that you have seen just like from a a, a theme or a, a transaction perspective in that like pending folder that is like kind of blowing your mind a little bit? That's something you hadn't thought about before you started Card Ladder. Oh man, so so much. So like. The players who are on everybody's radar, Zion, Luca, um, LeBron, Kobe, you know, guys like this, um, those guys definitely uh, perform well on the ladder. Um, but the thing that shocks me is how well players that, and, and even athletes from other sports that were never even things that I thought about, how well they perform. So like right now on the ladder, Devin Booker's Prism Silver and his Prism Base uh, in PSA 10 slabs are I think they're number 13 and they're number 14 right now. And there's two things that are actually are super insightful about that. Number one is the fact that, man, Devin Booker cards, like of all the cards in the hobby, we have close to like 700 cards that we're tracking on. We add around like 30 to 50 a day. We're really starting to focus on adding the cards that belong to uh, our members. So because it's very important to them, they want to track the value of the cards in their collection and through our predictive pricing modeling and through uh, transaction sales of highly transacted cards, we're giving people like really accurate snapshots of the values of their collection, I think. But so like, it's really interesting to, to see 
see cards like that uh, pop up on the ladder because you know Devin Booker like that's not if, if you if you said like who are the hottest players in the hobby like maybe you would think Devin Booker maybe not it depends upon what players are on your radar uh, but to see him up there you know Carl Anthony Towns is like number 19 right now you know Luis Robert is in the top 10 I think the last time I looked although the, the charts change so much every day that like I have to refresh like Hulk Hogan is in the top 15 right now that's something I would have never known about except for a member um, approached me and asked me to add that card so like that's that's I, there's so much hard to distill it into one example there's so many different interesting cards that are like really hot that i would have never known about and then the other thing that's really interesting about the two booker cards the base and the silver sitting right next to each other on the ladder is that the ladder like i said has an objective algorithm that produces a 14-day trending score and like within the ladder's faq we tell you exactly what that formula is it's, it's kind of like qbr or like per but it's just a little bit simpler than that but the fact that those two cards are sitting right on top of each other tells us that the rate of growth of those two different cards in their two separate markets is pretty much the same. And mm -hmm. that's what makes predictive pricing a super interesting dimension because we use the rate of growth for that particular card of the base Prism PSA 10 to predict the rate of growth of the silver PSA 10. And we're able to pretty consistently get relatively accurate predictions of parallels that take weeks sometimes even to materialize because we've observed Served that the rate of growth of the base Prism PSA 10 is a, is a fairly reliable proxy for the rate of growth of the silver PSA 10. And so time and time again, we see the silver lags a little bit behind the base, maybe even a few weeks behind. We see that our predicted value, it, it can tend to be higher than what the card is currently selling for if the base is trending up, or it can be lower if the base is trending down. And in either event, we see those values line up. And then when you see the two cards of, you know, the, the many, many cards we have in the database, when you see those two line up right next to each other like that it's capturing something super interesting and organic about sports cards which and, and how the markets for individual cards work definitely and what i'm excited about is just tracking cards and definitely cards that you can see and have been influenced by something that has happened on the outside so like cam newton right I, it's undeniable he's top four spots right now um because of news him going to new england right like is he gonna start is he gonna not we don't know but that that caused a bump and he's at the top and then think you know devin booker obviously there was a instagram post that i would imagine was driving a lot of those devin booker purchases so it for me it's interesting to it'll be interesting to see how these moments in time whether they're trades whether they're influencers that are promoting these cards or saying they're buying them how those take shape over a period of time um and how long it's going to take them for, for to go up and down the card ladder that's what i'm really excited about because i haven't had a resource like that being able to be a one-stop shop to to show me that i guess one more question just on the card ladder front is what if someone's new signing on card ladder like how would you say like what's the easiest thing you would describe for a new user to go in and, and gain value like what is the number one like what is the kill shot feature you think for them to immediately see value in what you're doing with card ladder i would do two things the first thing i would do which i would look at the very first thing that's displayed to you and it might not even depending upon your level of experience it might not make a ton of sense i would go right to the ladder i would just scroll the top 100. i wouldn't expect to like learn anything necessarily although like we you see we have these trending arrows like if a 
Picard has moved up. Like I have some scrolling right now. I see that there's the 2017 Mosaic Donovan Mitchell base PSA 10 is up 111 spots. Like that's fun. That's that's interesting to look at. I would just I would just scroll the top 100 and just kind of just enjoy like looking at all these beautiful cards that I'm seeing here. Kind of look at the different players and the names that are popping up. I would just kind of just scroll it and just just kind of take it in from an aesthetic perspective mm-hmm. and just kind of you know, absorb it. And then I would go straight to the newsfeed. And the newsfeed is where we distill everything into narrative form. So in the main post that, that goes to the newsfeed every day is called Ladder Headlines. Although we do other posts too. We do a daily sales recap where we tell you every single card that's sold in our database. If you want to pour through that list, uh, more advanced people can make a lot of value out of that list. We have a purgatory list that tells you the sales that we excluded from our database. We have a new cards added list that tells you all the new cards we added yesterday. But like, here's a here's the ladder headlines. And let me just kind of tell you why this is the place to start. So we start off, we say, look, cards sold for 180K yesterday. Then we have a little paragraph about why Cam Newton's cards have exploded. And we tell you which one is outperformed the others. It would probably surprise people to know that Cam's new, Cam Newton's number one performing card in our system was his tops chrome ball over shoulder base hmm. BGS 9.5, yeah. not the PSA grade. That's interesting. Then we tell you about the 2007 chrome Kevin Durant refractor 9.5. And we tell you why that card's ranking high right now. We tell you about a LeBron card that we just added that's doing really well, the high voltage insert. We tell you that his 2019 Prism Hyper is trending high right now. We talk a little bit about that Hulk Hogan card that I was telling you about. And we dig into stuff. We tell you how many copies of a particular card are for sale on eBay right now, how frequently it's selling, where they're trending at. You know, we tell you about Devin Booker. We tell you about Towns. We tell you about Zion. We tell you what the highest ranking Zion card is on the ladder right now. And, you know, you would think like Zion would be a player who would rank high on the ladder. And maybe when the NBA season resumes, he will. But the ladder teaches that, you know, Zion's prices are already high. And so he's not trending right now. Other players are trending right now. The ladder is capturing which players are moving up. If you just want to rank players by price, we have a ladder for that too. But the ladder is capturing how things are moving up. So like a great place to start is the ladder headlines because it distills into a narrative form, you know, a dozen, half a dozen, somewhere in there, talking points that are just bullet points that you can quickly whip through and kind of see what's going on in the hobby. Yeah, and I'm already beginning to think about cards on the ladder and how maybe not those cards are cards that I'm looking at from an investment perspective, but how those cards cards can help influence purchasing decisions outside or that might be impacted because of those cards. So a la Scottie Pippen, rookie cards, last dance, like inevitably Jordan, people were buying up Jordan. So Pippen eventually was going to be a card that people wanted to look at. So I think that's how I'm seeing the card ladder and the power behind it is trying to figure out what are cards or players that are attached to these top guys right now. Like for me on Cam Newton, like I was watching Cam Newton just get bought last night. I was sitting there watching it and it was blowing my mind. And it's just like the different mentality of like buyers and sellers, I think, because from my standpoint, it was, all right, well, I'm just going to like let Cam get bought up and I'm going to sit back and watch Stidham's price go down. And then when Stidham's price goes down, then I'm going to buy Stidham. And that was my mentality, but everyone's got their own strategies. And I think a tool like Card Ladder really empowers people that are investing or want to find gems of opportunities that don't exist. It's not necessarily just about what the information that's presented, which trust me, the information that's presented is super powerful. But like I'd say to everyone who I'm engaging with, take everything you're seeing and consuming 
and absorb it and don't let that make decisions for you, but take that when you're making decisions. Um, and I think that's what card ladder helps do, which is super cool. And I'm happy that it's a part of my kind of daily workflow now. I got to touch on a topic that I will say I praised House of Jordans and Card Ladder, but the one kind of adverse effect that I've had since kind of listening to your podcast is just the wallet heat I have, just the consumption of Luca cards because I can't get done without listening to one of your podcasts without hitting eBay and feeling like I need to buy a Luca card. You guys are like the number one advocates for Luca. And I think got on the Luca train early, which is jealous. And I'm even more jealous of just the fact of you've evaluated your PC and you put some up for auction and then you're getting those, those monies and you're thinking about what you can do next. So I think I have, you have, you have really sold me on Luca and I have bought a lot of Luca since listening to House of Jordan. So maybe talk through when did Luca hit your radar and when did you start buying them and why? Wow. So that's awesome. Greetings, fellow Luca collector. I love to hear that. So Luke came onto our radar um, at the middle to end point of his rookie season. So like the way it worked, though, was it wasn't that the his encore performance directed us to his cards. It was the opposite. It was that we were looking for 2018-19 product to rip. And if you can believe it, back when Prism came out, it was $200 a box. So oh, we were buying 2018-19 Prism boxes. Uh, we take a road trip in the winter of every year to, to visit family for the holidays. And along that road trip, we always stop at card shops every few hours. We, in fact, we plan out our road trip so that we can do that. And we stopped at a card shop in St. Louis and we picked up our uh, first box of Prism Hobby in the, that would be the winter of 2018, I suppose. And we loved the cards and we saw that Luca, obviously, and Trey, I think, were the, or maybe it was Kevin Knox, actually, were the two players on the box. And so we were like, okay, this is cool. You know, we've been hearing some things about Luca. Let's start paying a little bit closer attention to him and you know, let's go on a chase. Let's see if we can pull his elusive prism silver. And as we went on that chase, I started to take Luca and his basketball performance a lot more seriously because I had tuned in to watch his first few preseason performances. And I'm not saying that they were underwhelming, but I could see that that you know he he was still acclimating to the NBA style game. So I just kind of put that thought on pause. But then as I started to realize, you know, his prism was like the key chase out of these cards, we just just got addicted to try to pull one ourselves. And eventually, after dozens and dozens of stops at hobby shops and at Walmarts, we actually did pull one. And so we started to, you know, take more and more seriously collecting Luca. And then we hit like a huge Luca in a hobby box. So we actually during our road trip, we went all the way to the Northeast and we went to upstate New York. We stopped at Dave and Adams, like their physical mm. shop, and we bought several Prism Hobby boxes. And out of one of those boxes came a Luka Doncic orange out of 49. Wow. And so <clears throat> that was a big card. And all of a sudden we were like, this is really sweet. And at around the same time, Luka was ramping up and uh, he was becoming a much more popular player. This was like when he hit, this was around the time when he hit 
that three in the corner to send the game against the Portland Trailblazers to overtime. And his star was sort of rising and he was getting a lot of attention to become potentially an NBA all-star. Then I saw the all-star vote totals come in and I saw that his all-star vote totals were astonishingly high and that if it was fan voting alone that determined who would play, he would have been a starter. And then I started paying attention to his stat line. And before you knew it, I was watching every single game on NBA League Pass and studying him very closely. But we had not gone all in on his cards yet. We, we just had this really cool orange. We had a silver, maybe a couple silvers. We were just hanging out, just having fun and becoming fans of the player and, and seeing what we could see. Then post All-Star break, Luca averaged about 27, 7 and 7 or, or something around that. And that's a significant stat line because that's the same stat line that LeBron put up in his sophomore season. And so that was sort of a dot that I connected was that if Luca can can get to like 27, 7 and 7 or something close to that in his sophomore season, then there's potential for this kid's card market. And then I started looking at all the pieces. I said, the Mavericks brought in Porzingis and he's not playing this year, but but he's going to be back and, and he is pretty darn good. The Mavericks have Rick Carlisle, who's a terrific coach. Carlisle has decided to put the ball into Luca's hands and run the entire offense through Luca, and that's working pretty well. In fact, uh, one of the one of my favorite games from the Mavericks season last year was when they beat the Warriors by like 40 points. And when I saw that game, I saw the potential that this Mavericks team had. And by the way, this was a Warriors that were at full health. Uh, they were missing one of their stars. One of their stars sat out, but they had everybody else. They had Draymond. I think they had Draymond, Clay, and KD. I think it was Steph who sat out. But they beat that Warriors team by like, and I was like, this is really, really interesting. What's going on here? And the, But then what sealed the deal, there was a mixtape, and it, this is really stupid and don't do this, but I did it. But there's a mixtape on YouTube that shows all the highlights from Luca's 2018-19 season. And you shouldn't use highlights because that can be a very biased sample. Right. But like this, this mixtape had like 60 minutes of highlights. As I looked at it, I was like, this kid has created more highlight reel footage in one season than some Hall of Famers create over the course of their career. When you look at all the buzzer beaters, when you look at that game against Houston, when he scored like 11 straight points by himself to win the game, when you know all these different highlight reel things that, that he had put together, I was like, okay, if there ever was a prospect that I wanted to get involved with, because we focus on Michael Jordan stuff, but I was like, if there's ever a prospect that I wanted to get involved with, I think this is the one. So we went to a local card shop right around the time National Treasures came out and we bought his NTRPA from somebody who had pulled it. A month later, I was doing some eBay research, found somebody who had his Prism Gold BGS 9.5. We bought that. And so those were like two cornerstone big cards that we added. Then throughout the fall, we started adding more cards. So like I started picking up all of his select golds. And then I also picked up his Mosaic uh, Prism Gold PSA 10. And that's a fun one because I love Mosaic. And so I picked up that for $2,400, the Mosaic Prism PSA 10 Gold going into the season. And then I just had sent that card to auction and it just sold about a week or two weeks ago now for $18,000. So, and our plan was... I hated to sell Luca. Even all throughout this season, my my niche has been picking up Luca one of one. And we have some really cool ones. We have some cool rookie one of ones from like Threads. We have uh, the Net Marvels one of one. We have some Origins one of one. We have some really cool one of ones. But my thinking was this: it was like, look, we've put about thirty five grand into Luca, and he's had a tremendous run. Let's sell enough cards that we can recoup our investment, and we can just play with house money. And so I thought that the cards we sent to auction, I. Did a whole episode about it. I thought they were going to sell for about 28,000 and 
they ended up selling for about 40. So that was amazing. And so now we're completely playing with house money, as they say, with the Luca market. And and we have we still have all of our favorite cards. We have all of our one of ones. We have good old Prism base stuff. We still got some of those. We got the NT RPA. We got the Prism Gold 9.5. So like we still have all the cards that we love and that like we would never let go of. And we were able to liquidate some other stuff so that now the whole Luca PC is just house money. That's an amazing story. And it's just, I think the most exciting thing about cards in the connection with the the performance and just taking the time and little nuggets that you notice along the way and piecing them together. And then it, watching that mixtape. And I, I've talked about this too. I said, don't advise like going to YouTube and then going to make investments. I think However, that can be like the end of it that you can say, okay, maybe now it's time. But I do think with prospecting, moments matter. And those moments that can be put on your Instagram feed where everyone watches it and says, oh my God, that game winner, or oh my God, that dunk, like those things matter in the hobby. So I think that's super important. I think for anyone listening to just pay attention to those moments. Obviously, you noticed that there was a whole collection of these moments in a short amount of time that helped influence your decision of going all in with Luca. I think is cool. I've done that with similar players. I think the one thing that, you know, one thing I've heard from, I think it was just your last conversation conversation with Dr. James Beckett in one of your episodes, your last episode with talking about just like the attachment that as collectors and investors you have with, you know, players or your home team or whatever. And just like going in as a fan and you're a Luca fan going in every game now, not only are you a Luca fan and you like every time he touches the ball, you want to know about it and see what happens. But now you have this massive amount of investment that it's in card form, but it's basically directed towards the player. So I think you've talked about too, it's even maybe traveling to go see Luca. Have you been, you've been to a couple uh, game or two to see Luca play? Yeah. That's when, you know, our obsession is <laughs> <It's, it's, laughs> maybe too far, but like we, we planned a trip over this last winter break as part of our road trip to, and I actually convinced my dad and my brother to come along with us to go to American Airlines Center in Dallas and see Luca play the Chicago Bulls, which for obvious symbolic reasons being from the Chicago area. My dad, big Bulls fan. Obviously, we all were growing up in the 90s. So to be able to see like our favorite active player play against our team in Dallas, uh, we made a whole trip out of it. We went and visited Cowboy Stadium and everything like that too. But like the obviously the, the peak of the experience was going to American Airlines Center and getting to see Luca. And he was incredible. He, I'm pretty sure he recorded a triple-double in that game. He had, like 30, he had like 38 points. He, he, had, he played the best quarter of his career he had 23 points i think or 21 or 23 points in the third quarter alone completely electrifying performance so that was amazing we also saw luca during his rookie year also record a triple double um at the because we live in los angeles so that was easier we saw him at staples center we got his autograph um thanks to a tip from a local grapher out here that we've met through the hobby he told us exactly where to seats where to go in the staples center so we could get there what time to get there so we could get his autograph and you know what sure enough it all worked and so, you know, we got an in-person autograph. We kept the ticket stub from that game. We got the autograph just slabbed authentic from PSA just because I like how cards look at slabs. So like we got that stuff together and we want to go to as many Luca games as we can because it's just, it's it's amazing, man. Like you said, when you have a player that you've connected with and, and when you connect with them through cards, it's like, it's very different than like betting or gambling. Totally. 
and this is something that Dr. Beckett like talks about a lot and he thinks about a lot is the first thing he says is if you have an edge, it's not gambling, which is a really interesting point from the perspective of statistics. And that's being a PhD in statistics. That's the perspective that he takes, which is super interesting to think about. But then the other thing is that what he analogized it to when it comes to wax, but I think it applies to cards too, is he's like, hey, if, if I had a lottery ticket here, and even if you lost, you could redeem it for a significant percentage of its face value, say 75%. But on the other hand, if you win, you win really, really big. Wouldn't you buy that lottery? Is it even really a gamble at that point? And now I want to caution people to say he was talking about that in the context of wax, of premium product. Um, that's, the, that's the context that he was talking about it in. And I'm applying it to cards, which is a little bit different because players' cards in their market like can tank it can never take off and stuff like that. But like the point is that if you get involved with a player and you know maybe they don't pan out, but you got in early enough or you bought in at a, at a, at a logical price point, there are cascading effects. A, a market can, can go down over time and maybe you're not going to make money. You maybe will lose money, unfortunately. But if you sell, if you're, if you're paying attention, you, you'll minimize your losses. But if that player that you collect happens to do well, and God forbid if that player, or God willing, let that player become a superstar, <laughs> or an MVP caliber player, uh, the upside and the access and the way that collectors will gravitate to that player and, and not just a financial thing too, but also you just, their collector basis for that player will grow and you will meet and connect with so many interesting people and your connection to sports will become so much bigger, more robust if you end up getting lucky and land or, or strategic you know, or, or mixed, honestly, of landing on the right player. It's amazing. It's, it's one of the things that makes this hobby so electric. Totally. And that's why that reason it was when I heard him talk about that, I thought about related it with cards too. And I just immediately was like, all right, all the hundred, 150 bucks I throw down the toilet every week when I do daily fantasy. Like, I think I'm going to redirect those funds and put them to sports cards because, yeah, they might not take off, but there's a chance they could. But I certainly am not going to lose all of it. I can lose some of it. So I think mitigating risk and I think a lot of crossover with people doing daily fantasy and now with the interests of the hobby, there's going to be a lot of crossover. So I think that's super interesting. And I think opens up a whole nother buyer, seller, flipper, trader, whatever you want to call them back into the hobby, a new persona type. But I think that's super interesting. Before I let you go, I have to ask, since you've got Card Ladder, you're a big you know, sports fan, maybe not someone you're actively buying, but since you've got a process and you're looking at trends, is there a player, maybe football, maybe basketball, because that's what I primarily talk about. Are there players that you have maybe been interested in or you could see future growth in that from a prospect or maybe existing player that's had a few years that it just hasn't taken off yet. Is there anyone out there that's kind of caught your eye that you might be sniffing around on? Yes, absolutely. So I mentioned him a little bit earlier. So when I when we first added Carl Anthony Towns to when we first added him to the ladder, his prism pace PSA 10 was selling for like 150 bucks. And I was like, whoa, this is half the value of Trey Young. This is even less than the half the value of John Moran. 
this is the same value as Tyler Hero. And there's nothing wrong with those That's players. Those, those players have earned hype in the hobby for a reason. But Carl Anthony Towns, when healthy, is a perennial all-NBA caliber player. And the remember at the beginning of this past season, the Minnesota Timberwolves were doing very, very well. And then injuries plagued them and they went cold and they were trying to work out their team chemistry situation. But remember, Towns always wanted D'Angelo Russell to come into the fold. And they finally paired those two up. I think that is going to be a dynamic offensive duo. And now, unfortunately, I see here that Carl Anthony Towns in the last 10 days has gone up to $250 for his base prism PSA 10, because obviously I think other people must have noticed the same thing. Puts him at number 19 on the ladder right now. But the thing is, is that I even at $250, he's still, you know, cheaper. And of course, he's a he's a center. He's a big man. And big men don't necessarily get as much hobby attention as, as like wings or guys who have the ball in their hand quite a bit. But some of the hobby like wisdom like that is sort of getting thrown out the window. So like Nikola Jokic cards are like super hot right now. Like, <laughs> I don't know how this happens, but they are like his his base prison PSA 10 is selling for about 350 to 400 bucks. I think you can, you know, Jokic, it plays on a winning team, but him and Towns are, are of equal talent, I'd say, roughly speaking. I, I think I like Jokic a little bit more, but they're both like definitely all NBA caliber players. And so if the Timberwolves can just, you know, start winning next season, I think Towns cards could absolutely explode. But I, like I said, I think some some others have already started to notice that market inefficiency as well. Now, here's a different one. But, but it's for, you know, more seasoned collectors. But we're seeing like very sharp upward trends in Kawhi Leonard's market. And mm-hmm. his his key RPAs are have not yet matched the growth that his Prism PSA 10 has realized. So like on Card Ladder, we have some of his key RPAs and we generate predicted values that rely on the growth of his base Prism PSA 10 as a proxy. Now that's an imperfect proxy to be sure because it's those markets are different, obviously, and they have different buyer bases, but it's useful because it points out that like things like his immaculate RPA at I think the last sale was 3000 for a PSA 9 and maybe like 4000 for a BGS 9. The, the precise numbers are in the system. But that is like super, super cheap when his base Prism PSA 10 is $1,500. But on the market, you can get his immaculate RPA for, you know, three or four grand if if the seller is only looking at comps and they're not looking at like, and they're not extrapolating what his market should be worth. You know, when you talk about Kawhi Leonard, you're talking about a guy who has two championships, finals MVP, all-star game MVP this year. Although side note, I think Chris Paul should have won all-star MVP this year, but that's just my own little hot take. But okay. Okay. Thank you. So, but so Kawhi Leonard, he has these RPAs and like him, some of his key cards. Like if you got in, if, if you were able to like get his immaculate RPA at like four grand or something like that in like a mint case, and then oh my god, the, the Clippers go on to win this year. I mean, the potential upside on a card like that, especially down the line, if you're comfortable as a collector, like holding and enjoying that card for a while while his market catches up. I mean, oh man, you're talking serious, serious upside on a card like that, potential five-figure upside. But that's just a pure speculation. I'm not advising anybody to do that, but I'm just saying these are things that I notice. That's the type of move that I would maybe make myself if I were doing it that way. I'm just a collector though. You know, I just got my players right. that I like and I try to navigate in their markets. But these are some of the things that I've seen. Like that's like as a Luca collector, like I've always felt that his one of ones are extremely undervalued. So like I we we went and we just picked all those up. You know, when you could get his one of ones for less than his Prism Silver PSA 10, like or in some cases like significantly less, to me that was a market inefficiency totally. big time. So Okay, that's some of my observations. Yeah, no, those are good. And I think, I don't know, it's like with Kawhi, it's like, 
sometimes you just got to like take a step back and just look at the the player and the production and look at his history and track record and just do a sniff test and be like, all right, he might not be the flashiest player uh, ever, but like by taking a look and looking at some of those gaps in market inefficiencies that you're seeing, you could really, really make some big gains on that. And I think just like, I don't know if someone were to ask me right now, like who do you think is going to win the NBA championship? I'm going to say Los Angeles Lakers because of LeBron. However, if someone asked me like, who's one person you think can stop LeBron? I'd probably say whatever team Kawhi Leonard's on. And that's the Clippers. So I think like it would not be out of the question for the Clippers to beat the Lakers and then to go play Giannis or Tatum in the finals and then beat them. And then what do you know? Kawhi Leonard has another NBA championship and those cards just go boom. So I think like what you said about Jokic, I think there are just themes and things that are happening in the hobby right now with all of these new people entering that like the traditional rules can might, might be thrown out the window a year from now where big men start getting a lot of value. And then maybe receivers on the NFL side start getting some gains because new people entering want to invest in players that are in the end zone. So I definitely think like thinking about those dynamics and changes as new people are entering and trying to navigate and find those opportunities are definitely important for everybody that's listening to this conversation. Don't just like take, don't just consume what's out there and what people are saying. Don't go buy people's picks. That's silly. Like do the homework and if you're doing the homework, you're going to find trends and opportunities. And obviously there are resources out there. Card ladder is a good one. So definitely if, if you're going to do one thing, definitely go. I think you guys are doing a free trial. Is that correct? Yes, we are. Yes. But I want to caution people like we had more interest than we expected. And we honestly yeah. have more people than we can real. Honestly, we have, we have too many people right now. So we <laughs> you sound we like have, PSA or BGS. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to sound like that. That's for sure. But we have too many people right now. And so we, we have to use wait lists. And because what we want to do ultimately, like there's people who use card ladder for different purposes. There's some people who use it for the data primarily. There's other people who use it for the my collection feature. And the people who use it for the my collection feature, we give them the power to generate their own member generated predicted values using different cards as a baseline. And we teach you how to do that so that until a card that you want to see in our system is in our system, you can still track the value of it using our same methodology. We show you how to do that and our software does it for you. So like we really make that process simple for you. But ultimately, we want to have a base of collectors in our system who are 100% satisfied. And like the way that we get to that is we get all of their cards into our database. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to grow at an appropriate rate because there will be card overlap. So we have our first pool of collectors. We want to get as many of their cards into our database and start tracking their daily values or generating predictive values if they're super rare cards for them and get the baseline card that we can use to generate that predictive value into our system. Like we want to get all those people and get them super happy first. And then we bring in another wave. And then the next wave, there will be some overlap, but we get all their cards in. And so we do it strategically like that so that everybody who's in is completely satisfied. And like, the thing is we've had like lots of people buy like year long memberships. And so we're like, okay, these people really made a big uh, vote of confidence in us and we really want to make them happy. So like right now we're working on a waiting list uh, method and you know, we really, really appreciate people who are bearing with us through this right now and, and helping us to make the tool better, giving us suggestions and the cards that they want to see in the system. You know, we're working and we're adding them as often as we can. But the, but the thing is, it's really important that we have a sterling, pristine data data set. We don't want bad data at all. That's why we vet sales. That's why we put systems in place to make sure that 
we filter out bad data or we at least wait and make judgments about it. So we really, really want to have good sterling data. I want the data to be on the level that like a university researcher could, if they wanted to do a paper or a research project on the sports car market, they could come into our tool and they could use our data and they could know that it's the most accurate snapshots of hobby market value that exists. And we also build all-time sales histories for cards, which takes a lot of research. So we go back, we don't just look at the last 90 days on eBay. If a card's been signed on eBay since 2004, we take the time, use our research methods to fill in all of the eBay sales going back all the way to then. And in some cases, like with the Ken Griffey, upper deck rookie card, that was thousands of sales that we had to add in. But we do it because measure twice, but cut once is the philosophy. Mm -hmm. We want to make, we want to have a pristine, historically accurate data set. Ultimately, as we continue to bring people in, they get really, really good value out of it. And they learn things. You know, we include links in every card's profile. There's links to places on the internet that tell you a lot more about the set. We take our time to build card profiles properly so that when somebody does come in and use our site, like it's a maximally informative tool and it has all the cards that they want to see. So like, that's why I just say like a word of caution, just I would love for everybody to join the wait list, but just please, just please be patient with us is all. No, that is uh, good information. And that is a good and healthy approach. And I'm glad you are all being aware of that and making sure that your data is up to speed and the user experience on the back end is first class. So definitely you can always find more information online. Like I mentioned, there's, I can't open up a social feed without seeing card ladder, which is awesome. Chris, where else can uh, people find you and where can they tune into house of Jordans? You guys can please, I'd love for anybody to follow me on Twitter. Um, just at house of Jordans also on Instagram, uh, Chris underscore H O J. And it's harder to get to us on YouTube because if you search house of Jordans, you're going to see MJ's mansion. But <laughs> if you put it in quotation marks, if you put house of Jordans in quotation marks, like if you use that little Boolean search trick, then that will take you directly to our page. Or if like you type in like house of Jordans episode 23, let's just say, uh, which is our episode on collecting Jordan. Well, actually, that's not going to be on YouTube because we didn't have a video dimension. So, but if you put in like House of Jordan's episode 25, like that will get you to our channel indirectly. And then we'd love to have people subscribe. We just, like I say, you know, our, our YouTube channel, our podcast, they're just, they're pretty humble. They're pretty niche. It's really a passion project, but we love to interact with collectors and people like you, man, uh, you came into this podcast space and you're bringing a whole new energy, a whole new perspective. It's super duper like fun and exciting. And dude, that's the thing I wanted to say to put a punctuation mark on this. The hobby is you should always come back to being about fun. We should be having fun. We should yeah. be passionate. We should love this hobby. This hobby should be fun. If it's not fun, we're doing something wrong. So it should always come back to fun. Always use that as your compass, as your North Star. Make sure you're having fun. I love it. I I love it. Definitely go check out House of Jordans. Check out Chris on his social media channels. Check out Card Ladder. This was a ton of fun. Definitely let's get you back on this Hobby Hustle Friday conversation very, very soon. I do appreciate the time, Chris. Thank you, man. All right. Take it easy. Man, I had a lot of fun with that one. Chris is just one of those really good dudes in the hobby. Very motivated, very talented, got a lot going on, and he just is rocking out. I think it's so much fun what he's doing with the platform like House of Jordans and then building Card Ladder. Definitely go check all of that out if you like what you heard. Hit the subscribe button, leave that five-star review. Follow me on social media. You know the drill. Be safe. Take it easy. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. We'll talk to you again real soon.